We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Plucky underdogs, Manchester City, steamroll Real Madrid as Arsenal do the only smart thing and attempt to sign more of their players. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the black man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I mean, if Manchester City are <clears throat> going to go win the treble and get 100 points every season or at least 94, do whatever they want to do, why not sign their players? We got Zinchenko, we got Jesus, we're going for Cancelo. I don't know, maybe Rodri and Holland. Just see. Just see. Maybe Pep is bored of them. Pep gets bored. He sent away Leroy Sané, right? He sent away Cancelo. If he's getting bored of their best players, then we should sign them. That is that is a strategy I can get behind. <clears throat> Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for being here. We are going to cover that semifinal a little bit, but also, dead. let's get into rumors. Uh, and, and, I mean, it is still football season. We still have two games to play. We're playing Forest at the weekend, and then we play Wolves, and I can't wait to be there to clap the players, give them a good lap of appreciation as they well deserve, and then we can look back on the season. But there are rumors now, Shaka's departure, can, the Cancelo interest, so we'll go over all of that. Uh, I will let you know that after the season ends, we do a lot of postseason stuff that you may not have been here with us for in the past, so we'll do a revisiting of our preseason predictions, we'll do a season summary. Some of that will be at the Union Chapel event, by the way, uh, with the good folks over at the Arscast, which we'll be doing in Islington next week, so we can't wait to see so many of you there. We also have New York and LA events coming up as part of the American Tour, which uh, the whole podcast crew, plus I think Andrew as well, will be a part of that too, so we've got a lot of fun stuff coming. Those tickets are available over on the Patreon side. We do that just to kind of keep it equitable and, and easy for people to get in and, and get the tickets to the extent that they want to go. And uh, if you do want to join us for Patreon this summer, by the way, if you're saying, what, what the heck do you do over there during the summer? We do scouting videos for all the players we're linked with. We've already done them for Rice and Caicedo. We did one for Balogun. We'll look at our loan players. We'll be doing them for players we're linked to. We're also once a week going to do an in the spotlight on the season that was had by a player in the squad. So every week we'll cover a player in the squad and deep dive on the season they've had. So if you'd love to come over there, we'd love to have you over there. And if you don't want to be over there, we'd just love to have you here. See how that works? Because it's all love all the time for all of us being together. And thank you so much uh, for all of that. And here with me now, Tim was here, had to drop because of technical issues that have caused this recording to run late. So uh, you would have had Tim 
were it not for the ghost in the machine. We also had a really funny Fleetwood Mac joke that got lost. So I'm I'm pretty upset about it. But uh, you, you, you know, you can't you can't recreate that kind of experience. You can't recreate the spontaneity of a joke. But it was basically uh, he he made a joke about the album rumors, and then I said, kind of like how Manchester City won in a landslide. But then but then. Paul pointed out that landslide wasn't on rumors. So it, it, as you can see, like it's probably best that that joke was left to the deleted recording. And here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. pause. Woohoo. <clears throat> and Clive, who is shaking his head sternly. He does not approve of the banter. The witty banter is neither witty nor banter. It's just waffle. It's nonsense. Clive's on Twitter. Clive KFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. It's a lovely shade of Chelsea blue you're wearing today. Well, I've got City Blue on, actually. Well, I'm calling it City Blue. It <laughs> sure as hell is Chelsea Blue, my friend. If you can't beat them, <laughs> join them. That's my thing. I've had enough of trying to beat them. I'm just going to change my colors. I mean, I was going to say, by ch- becoming a City fan today, you have now been a City fan as long as most City fans. So <laughs> you have a lot in common with them. Clive, well, let's let's start with you. Look, the, here's the problem with discussing City. The most obvious point that needs to be made is the soulless corruption and criminality that underlies the the way this team was built that manchester city has been built on a throne of lies as uh the famed will ferrell once said in elf they sit on a throne of lies but there is a footballing component to it and so i i think if we disentangle for a moment what how they got to be what they are they now seem to have reached the apotheosis of of their footballing philosophy and and they just brushed aside Madrid yesterday. Does this is this an excuse for Arsenal fans, or is it a, a, a perfectly uh, rational response by Arsenal fans to say, "Oh, we were just bottling it when we got rolled over by them." Well, here's Real Madrid getting rolled over by them. It shows you the enormity of the task at hand. Yeah, loads of places you can go with this, isn't there? And how it all comes down to how I went how, to all of them in my question. I'd like, yeah, to think. exactly. <laughs> you normally, you normally do, right? <laughs> and then I got to pick one of the strands. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, seriously, you know, there are lots of places you can go, and it's all down to how you feel and the, almost like the process of football grief that you're going through. Um, I went. I had a tweet today. It's really interesting tweet. There's a good video that came out from BT Sport showing the Man City experience of last night, a six-minute video, very, very nice. I just sort of tweeted out and said, you know, how, how does this make you feel? In less than five words, just give me your first emotion. Mm. And I will say, you know, people, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Twitter, you know, and basically most of the people came back with some very, very smart, holistic thinking about what City are doing Someone just went back to their cheating, but not very many. It was really thoughtful responses around, you know, the emotion of it, around the the caveats around it. But more importantly, one some good people came back and said, what I don't like is the almost over-celebration of what City are doing when it's very difficult for opponents to compete with them. When Arsenal don't quite compete with them, the mocking that we haven't been quite as good as them and I think the balance in reporting is there's a, there's a level of unfairness there. And I can't expect BT Sport, who Man City are carrying their channel at the moment, to be fair and balanced when all they want are viewers for the, for the Champions League final. But I do find it a little bit sort of sickening, the way they are just kneeling down in front of them. Don't they mm-hmm. question what's happening to the game, the game that they are spending millions on, 
They didn't question 20-year trophy and 20-year Chelsea. And they're not questioning this. And, and, and I feel as though we do need to question the game. And by the way, I've got no qualms. I really enjoy watching Man City play. I learn a lot from them. But I have to compartmentalize mm. that in my head versus the other things that are out there rumored. Right? So, but I, I, can, I can do that until we get beat by them. Then I feel a little bit less easy to do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but there is a question for the game. And is the game going to question itself? Or is that really vote, you know, Turkey's voting for Christmas? I'm not so sure. There is no deterrent. There's no regulatory deterrent. There's no narrative deterrent. In fact, their narrative is celebrated. And, and uh, where other clubs, I'm sure Liverpool fans feel this way more keenly than we do, Elliot. They've had four or five years of it. That what they try to, Liverpool try to do, and what Arsenal have tried to do this year, for me, is the right way to go. But we are rubbished for not being quite as good as a very good team, which is not just money-orientated. Tactically, talent ID, data-wise, they're exceptional. The whole thing is exceptional, but it's underpinned by potentially, allegedly, financial mismanagement. And that is to be... Money talks, right? Their wage bill is twice the size of ours. Money talks. People land places where you get paid more money. Good people land. And when you got that level of finance, then you have to have a, a star and a, and a caveat there. But I'm trying. I'm a football man primarily, and I enjoy the football. I have to say, I enjoy it, and I want us. I see it as a standard that we got to try to reach. But I've also got perspective. You know, I'll not be shouting at my own team, and I'll not be walking out of stadiums because that's what we're competing against. Yeah. It is the inherent reality of tribalism in football and also the selfishness of us wanting success and glory in our sport and also the reality that we want our sport to be a diversion from the very real challenges we face in our regular life that makes it difficult for football fans to unite around the idea that what they're doing is not okay. If you're a City fan, you don't want to think about that. You want to soak this up. You want to enjoy it. You want to not be lectured about it because you have your own problems in your life. Maybe it's making ends meet or maybe it's in a relationship or maybe it's the stress of work or raising kids, whatever it is. <clears throat> this is supposed to be your diversion. And so you don't want to be smacked in the face by the politics of it or the corruption of it. And I totally get that. Then there's the tribalism of, well, I'm not going to unite with United fans who are coming at me, right? When Chelsea did it, they weren't going to unite with Arsenal fans who were coming at them. And as Newcastle does it, they're not going to unite with Sunderland fans, right? Whatever the case is. So the tribalism combined with what we want from our sport means that it is hard to ask fans to be introspective about this sort of thing. Um, I know a lot of people, when Kroenke was looking at buying 100%, were rooting for the other guy to get it. And we look at who that other guy is and what he's been and what he's become and what he's been tied up in. That wasn't necessarily the nicest uh, piece of business we could have been involved in. Plus, you know, if we want to do this and I don't want to do this. None of these ownership groups really have clean hands at the end of the day. So, and I, I get, by the way, that that is uh, what aboutism, and I'm not trying to engage in it. I'm simply saying that all of these factors make it a slippery conversation to get your hands around. We've done the city our bad thing, though. I don't think we have to do it again. And I don't know that the throat clearing of city our bad does us any good if the inquiry we, we want to engage in, which we need to engage in, is how we get ahead of them. Because yes, they've cheated. And yes, they've got 115 charges against them. But nothing's going to be done. So it is our responsibility to, to find a way to go chase them down and get ahead of them. Now, 
the reality is that may not even be possible. If we get 94 points and they get 97, did we bottle it? If we get 97 points the next season, they get 100. Did we bottle it? If we get 99 and they get 101, did we bottle it? Like, that is really what could happen, as Liverpool saw. They had the one season. And by the way, the one season where they won it, City had what, like 81 points? City got 81 points this season. Everyone be talking about the incredible journey we've been on. So it it is really tough. But Paul, from a footballing standpoint exclusively, City didn't just get here through corruption because they, they could be PSG and PSG RMS. Right? They could be Chelsea. Chelsea are spending, you know, like they've had a few too many and they're out wandering the the streets and shopping for whatever they can find. Like, but Chelsea are are dreadful. They're a mess. City have done this because they have a really intelligent coach. They've really effectively identified talent and then used their immense resources to go in and cheat their way to getting all the talent they need. But like when you watch what City are doing, Paul, um, is is the hope, I mean, it sounds so silly, is the hope they win the treble and Pep just leaves? I think a lot of this is Pep. And the, the irony is, I, I, I don't want to take the attention off the corruption, but I do think Pep is a big piece of this. And I think if he left, I have the sneaking suspicion, would they still be dominant? They would because of their spending, but they might be dominant where every season they're getting 86, 87, 88 instead of 94, 95, 96. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Um, why not both? Um, can't they be the corrupt evil empire and also can't they have built an excellent footballing organization uh, one in which Mikel Arteta spent what three and a half years learning understanding uh, photocopying all their blueprints um, downloading onto a flash drive all their scouting uh, the one thing he has done is he's gone there and learned he knew where his next job was and mm. he knew what his next job would be and what it would take. He knew the problems of the next job, that next club. He'd been there. He thought about it. He'd three and a half years looking at the, the ivory tower of a footballing excellence that is Manchester City. It's way beyond Pep. Like They prepped that club for him to arrive. Um, I don't think he'll go too quickly, but I do think um, he'll take his Champions League, what's that now? This will be five out of six. Is that right? Well, let's not uh, just give Premier it to him because it's going to be hilarious when Lukaku scores a, a 97th minute winner to, to have him lose another Champions League. But yeah, go for it. Yeah, well, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's probably best it does happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And we get that out of the way. Um, we are like, like, I never used to watch Lord of the Rings, the movies. I certainly didn't read the book. Seemed very, very long, and apparently there was more than one book. And like we're the little hobbit guys, you know, and and there's the precious and all that, and like all that rubbing of hands. And they're like the evil forces, Sauron, I guess, and like other stuff. I don't really know. I didn't really follow it. There was a lot of fights and battles. We're the little guys. We're off in in the woods in that little village where all the the hobbits hang out. Um. And that's what we're going to measure ourselves. We we got so much better this year, in this season. It's going to force us to go better, stronger next year. And, and like one bubble is the Premier League, but the other is how good a football team are we measured against the the rest of Europe? There's a lot of pleasure to be had beating teams in the Premier League, going into the Champions League, being a force in the Champions League, becoming a force in your. Eventually, Pep's going to go. Pe mm. eventually Pep's going to do something else. And if what happens when he 
goes off and takes all that know-how and they have to re-engineer what they're doing and how they do it is that we're then ready and primed and we got better each year. I mean, the jumps we've made over the last, well, uh, last year, this year in particular, um, we go again next season, we get a little better, we improve, we uh, tighten up, we expand our squad. That, that's what it is. They are an excellent footballing organization that we're competing against with an excellent coach, uh, excellent players. The one thing about it is you get a real clarity about what they do and, and how they do it. <clears throat> we have a fairly similar philosophy and approach Um I think this is really forging, crystallizing uh, who we are, where we're going, what we're up against, how you become excellent across the board. It's not just about players and, and style and philosophy. It's all the backroom stuff, all the scouting, all the know-how, all the running a football business. Arteta knows that. Uh, our Arsenal knows now what what it's up against, what it needs to do. Mm. It's testing and forging us. So... But we're, it is the evil empire. They should be kicked out of football. It's, and But the powers that be involved can't say too much because that's how they all make their crust. They would invalidate. Like, this is now the best team in the Premier League again. It's about to become the best team in Europe, the best team in world football. Um, there's some real issues within invalidating all of that for everybody. We've seen that with Qatar, right? Everybody's on the payroll. If they invalidate it, it's like the Tour de France, the the year or the couple of years where everybody was invalidated because everybody was doping. There's a real problem there. In the meantime, uh, we just need to get better and better so that when the when the hour comes, when Pep moves on or whatever happens next, we are the best or one of the best teams in world football. Yeah, <clears throat> and all we can hope is that Pep experiences the same thing that Hans Gruber famously referenced in his apocryphal quote about Alexander the Great when he said, and when Alexander saw the breath of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. If only Pep can feel the same, weep a single tear, and as the great poets once said, fuck off. Just please, please, please fuck off. Um, yeah, hey, Elliot, I, I, yeah. Hans Gruber was not in Fleetwood Mac. No, no, he was not in Fleetwood Mac. Um, oh gosh, I was trying to quickly come up with some reference for falling out of a window that Fleetwood Mac might have, might have sung about. But I, can't, <laughs> I can't think of one. And uh, goodbye, Alan Rickman. Rest in peace. Uh, gone too soon, but not forgotten. R- Rickman did pass, right? Fairly certain. Yes, uh, yes, a lo- yes. A, lo- a lovely actor. Um, and, and, and an iconic in the movie, performer. In the movie and in real life. Okay, got it. Um, so, Clive, can you get back in here, please? I, I want to move off of the Manchester City thing, but I, I will say, seeing what they're doing and, and the level that they're reaching, it's almost just a little bit of bad luck, right? Because, you know, for example, if Leicester had been Leicester, title-winning Leicester, in a season where Chelsea were actually at their pomp, they don't win the title, right? Leicester got to a pretty reasonable point total in a season where the, the teams that can just bully the league didn't bully it. Liverpool won their title. Now, granted, you could say, well, Liverpool had run away with the title, you know, halfway through the season. City only got to 81 points that season. If that was a 97-point or 98-point season for City, it might have been a very different title race. Um, 
we might just be getting unlucky because cities seem to be peaking to a level they arguably, arguably have not hit in their entire run under Pep, points aside, and now we've got to go chase that down. It shows you the 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 degree to which we have to be perfect. We have to be flawless with our decision-making to some extent. Just as a final thought here, are you using this reference point of City's greatness as any kind of salve for you know the performance we may be put up at the Etihad or our, our inability to overcome them or the way that the weight of this title chase has maybe crushed the crush the the mental strength of this very young squad like for you is it is it i don't want to use the word excuse but is it somewhat exculpatory in your mind seeing the level that city have hit with us just not being able to keep that pace yeah i've been i've been there for a little while really when you watch mm-hmm. the game uh, at at the etihad you could see there was a, there was a gap there and the manager said we they went to level we couldn't go to so the manager's saying that well, why are we beating ourselves up you have to have a level of perspective, you know. And um, and what City have done, really, they've moved the game on from not just doing what we're doing right now, which is leaning into attack, being quite penetrative, energetic. They've taken they've taken that model, which they've had before with the false nines, etc. Lots of rotation, intelligence, cohesion, the one brain football that we have discovered this year with a level of defensive solidity when we had the right people in defence. Youthful, very quick out from the back, drive straight through. Beautiful. We've all enjoyed it. The three twos, the four twos, fantastic. Really exciting. Great season, great connectivity. Unity, loved it. I enjoyed it as much as any other season I've been involved with. And what City have done is they've taken that model where you can fall down in cup competitions, for example, because you do silly things like don't play a hold of midfield in a Champions League final and lose late to Real Madrid. I mean, these experiences that City have gone through, we're not allowed to go through them. But they can go through them and fail, but mm. we're, we're not allowed to go through them. And so what they've done, yeah. they've taken the model of the way of playing, and they've, and they've added a level of, another level of control. But a level of control they've added now is physical control and technical control. So they've discouraged anyone from going near the defence by having four big bodies there. So there's no there's no inversion with a five foot six center, uh, left back or five foot seven. Left, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating there, but um, there's none of that anymore. You know, there's no Bernardo Silva left back. Now they got they got big monsters there. Back three type model with a with six footers in centre mid and a six foot five guy at centre forward and lots of rotation and control around. The pace is steady. It's not it's not Sane Sterling pace, but it's good enough. But the power is high. The control and security on the ball is very high. And the energy and intensity to keep people where they want them is as high. Also discouraging one-on-ones defensively. I mean, that is a fantastic winning machine. You know, it's not the 100-point city that was that was flashy and new that the league wasn't ready for. But it's something else. There's a certainty about what's going to happen. And you get that when you have all the right pillars in place with the right ability, the right size, the right technical ability, the experience of disappointment to understand this is their moment and they're peaked for it. And a part of me admires it, how they approach the winning of football where the ball is ground, you you can't have certainty. I admire how they've risk manage this and approach this I have I have to I have to with it with the big caveat Elliot do you see what I mean and, and I can't mm. I, I, I am of 
I think Pep is quite a pragmatic coach. I think he cares massively about transitions. I think he cares massively about defence, and he teaches he teaches attack. But he he invests in defence, and he's invested more and more in that. I think there's a lesson for us. I do. What Arteta's doing is what Pep did early on. You know, invest in attack, get your attacking identity in place, understand the technical specifics that you need to perform in a team like Arsenal, and then build on that, layer that. And I do expect to see a significant change in the squad this season. That's not just me in my normal end-of-season YouTube mode. Why wouldn't you? We've got a number of players that are in selling potential, and we need to do things if we want to be that team. And, And that team for me is to make sure we're right back in that top four, not damaged psychologically, right back in that top four. We're protecting the growth of these players, the youngest team in the league. We're protecting their growth by making sure we underpin them with rotation options. That is our job, you know, to make sure these mm. guys' careers peak at the right time. You know, so that is our job. We've, we've got to protect these careers. And we've got to create an ambition for them, not just pay them early, but make sure we can match their ambition by supporting them appropriately with the right level of talent. That is our job. Right. And City don't come into my thinking yeah. there. They're just, they're just a benchmark. Right? So let's focus on doing that and then, and then see where we end up. And I think the one other thing we are going to have to do, and this is the big step up for Mikel perhaps, is trust his squad and understand how to use it more fully. Um, you know, one of the things that we say about City having all this money is, oh, well, they can just rotate. They can rotate. That, that's a huge advantage. They can rotate. They can. Other teams rotate more, but they do rotate a lot. You know who doesn't rotate a lot? Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. Last season, not this season, but last season, Arsenal were third from bottom in terms of fewest changes to the starting 11 in the season at around 60-ish. Only Burnley and West Ham made fewer. Manchester City were fourth in that category, up around 100. Okay, this season... Arsenal are dead last. The fewest changes to the starting 11 in the league. Down around 33-ish, I think it is. The next lowest is Newcastle at over 50. Chelsea are the most at almost 130. Manchester City, again, coming in fourth, around 90 changes. We made 33. You know, and again, you can say, oh, well, Manchester City has all that money. But yeah, we made fewer than like Bournemouth by double. <laughs> you know, the, the amount of changes we've made to the starting 11 in consecutive seasons is extremely low. And, you know, we think of football in seasons, but players, it's just their careers. So this is back-to-back seasons of some of the same players playing all the time. Okay? A Bukayo Saka playing every game at 20 and 21. Right? It's back-to-back seasons of, of playing this way and making the fewest changes. And, and I said this in a, in a Patreon pod I did, but I'll just reiterate it. I think the irony is the issue isn't that he doesn't rotate necessarily. I think one thing that we could look at is maybe just maybe he's just a little slow to change, period. Like last season when the Lacazette thing wasn't working, was he a little slow to go to Enkedia? This season when the Enkedia thing wasn't working, was he a little slow to go to Trissard? This season when the holding thing wasn't working, was he a little slow to go to Kibior? Just that willingness to stick with the guys that played the last game until it's pretty clear that that group can't get it done. Maybe a little bit earlier response to signals might lead to quicker changes. But Paul, 
there's a presumption that when we add depth of quality, we will see more of these rotations. But it is pretty clear in the data that Mikel, in general, is not a switch it up guy. Even when the guy he's not switching up isn't, you know, it, it, it like Rob Holding is not a superstar. Mikel was sticking with him. Lacazette was not playing like superstar. Mikel was sticking with him. So it, do you think that the data tells us that maybe this is a Mikel thing more than a squad thing? Like, is it is it absolutely clear to you that as we add strength and depth, he will start to use more variation in his lineups? Or do you think that this is an area for him to look at at updating his his thinking uh, as, as a young manager? Um... So, yeah, I mean, the data shows he's not very rotatey, he's not very changey. I am assuming something, and we don't know because there there isn't a lot of data. It's a a couple of seasons here. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a lot of games, but the same same issue with each game and each phase of a season. Like, why didn't he switch away from Lacazette in the season in which uh, Lacazette had been doing well and then started to fade and it seemed like we needed something else. And obviously that was a hot topic of debate because uh, w- w- we're getting ourselves into tighter and tighter situations. But the thing was, we kept winning. So you could understand his temptation to stick what was, with what was winning, even if to the eye you could see that the margin between us and the teams we were playing was getting narrower and narrower. It was by the skin of our teeth. But like, what what could he switch to? He could have played Eddie earlier in the season, uh, but then that might have cost him points earlier in the season. And so we've seen what his his bias is. It's to keep taking the points. What happened this season? It was to keep taking the points. He had an 11, 12 that worked for him. And his choice, his decision basically every weekend for every game was, you know what? I'm going to take the points. We'll work out how to do some jazz later on in the season if I run into trouble. As long as I've got my 11, 12 that I trust, I'm going to take my three points. And it worked awfully, awfully well for a long time. Um, I think the psychological piece of it is Arteta at this point wants to play Arteta ball only. He doesn't want Mm. to drop into something else that's just something different, bringing in new players, who are not really part of the system, having to adjust tactically to another team to play a different style of football. Like, that's just not his preference. Uh, I I don't even think Arteta ball, I think it's clear, it's not even where he wants it to be yet. So he's looking up and further on in terms of Arteta ball. He's only going to play players that allow him to play Arteta ball. And there's about 11, 12, 13 that he trusts in the total squad. And when he gets a couple of injuries, it's like, well, how do I keep this going the way it is? And he keeps the structure. He keeps, you know, he'll make one change. He won't make several changes. Um, And he hopes that the other 10 players on the pitch can adapt to the one player, be it Rob Holding, and will try and do the same thing. And then, you know, uh, our goose is cooked. So he says, all right, we'll experiment with KVR and it works better. And we like what we saw and we say, why didn't you do it earlier? Well, that was a risk. That was a significant risk. He wasn't going to take it when we were leading the peloton by, you know, we were 10 minutes ahead of the peloton. That's not when he's going to try something new with his gears and his back wheel and his... By by the way, though, that's the exact same... I mean, Paul, I feel like I'm having flashbacks. It's the exact same conversation we had about Lacazette last season when we had the peloton on for top four, right? So it's... 
it is ex- it yeah and i think it's not just he doesn't like to change he doesn't it's not about what he likes he does not trust the football he will get uh, at a critical mm. point where and, and like i think the tour de france uh, one one day stage analogy is great. I've had some pushback on this. When you get the jump, those guys get the jump all the time. They get reeled back in. But when you really get the jump in the mountains and you're far enough ahead, you don't fuck around. You just go for it. You try and put as much different distance between you and the peloton and you pray. And that's what we did last season. That's what we did this season. Yes, I think, I expect, I assume when he has 17, 18 players that he trusts. He's talked a lot about how he likes uh, flexibility, adapting to the opponent, uh, giving them sur- some surprises. We've seen none of that so far. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I want to get Clive in, in here um, to clear this all up for us, Paul. But I, I will just make this point because I'm sure people are saying it. Well, what about when Liverpool won the title? Because remember, Liverpool were famously fit when they won that title. They had all their key players available all season. In Liverpool's title winning season 2018-2019, they were about middle of the pack, having made about 75 first 11 changes. uh, Just over 75 first 11 changes to our 33 this season. So even with a very fit Liverpool squad, that was the approach they took. All right, Clive, so where are you thinking on this? Because I think it is easy to just say when he has the players he trusts, he'll make more changes. But we we have a little bit of data, not a ton of data so far, that once he puts players into that lineup, he he sticks, you know, and that the the changes to signals come maybe a little bit later. And by the way, you could argue that that's true with subs too. I think he's made some of the latest subs and fewest subs of any team in the league. So in general, that team he puts out on the pitch, he trusts them, he leaves them, and he tends to go with them game by game. What's your uh, take on my my, my terrible analysis there? Jump okay. in. It, that Please wasn't do. true on the subs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last season and yep. to a degree the season before. It's definitely a thing this season. Okay, perfect. Clive, square us away here. Um, it's, 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 um, there's loads of variables here, right? So, um, this season's a unique season. So throughout the season, we had the World Cup. So we had an enforced break. So I think, mm. for, I was actually think, Good I point. actually think we needed that break because I'm not mm-hmm. sure we'd have maintained our, our drive. If we didn't have that break, I thought we were excellent for the World Cup. We, we had the break, took a while to get the wheels going. We did quite well again over Christmas. I think I think for this team at this age, I think we needed that break. If we want to maintain a trophy challenge or maybe just say two fronts, we're going to have to change. It's not possible to continue in the same way. So I don't think it's going to be a discussion once the team recycles. The style of play that we now can all recite without even, you know, with our eyes shut, we weren't playing that at the start of the season. So we've seen it for the first time due to the balance of the first 13, 40. So we were taught this. He trained it with that group of players, and it quickly became apparent that people who couldn't fit that style have gone from favourites to being captain a couple of years ago to we got to sell this left-back now because he can't play for this team anymore. So the style has changed, which means requirements of players have changed, which means the chance to rotate has been reduced. Now, I, I said this before, Elliot, but we sat on this podcast many, many times, and there's very, very few times this season we've disagreed with the lineup. 
very few times. And I didn't see too many people disagree with the lineup online until maybe later on when injuries came in and we had to find other solutions. So we were happy with the direction we were going. We were happy with the lineup. We were happy with the balance. We were happy with winning. And then we get to the winning time. Then we think, oh, we haven't peaked to win the title against the monster that's Man City. And then we think of ways mm. to look at this uh, look at this from a different angle, look at this and say, well, actually, we should have done this, we should have done this, we should have done that. So let's look at what we did. Let's look at what we did. So the rotational players that have come in. I remember when Kivior's first game at Anfield, you were horrified by it. You would say, what's going on there? I said, we've got to give him a time. We've got to give him time. Next couple of games, thinking, why was he in sooner? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I look at Vieira smacking one in against Brentford from 30 yards. He has an average night against Southampton, people not having him. Right? So, uh, Rob Holding did well in the first couple of games. We know Rob Holding. That's a, that's a different discussion, maybe, because we have got greater data on, on him. You know, so yeah. we, we lose Tommy Yasu, Trossard. We had no real experience of him. He was the one that was brought in to play false nine. None of us had seen it. He was trained by the manager to do it, and he did it successfully, which made us think maybe we could have put him in a couple of games sooner. I think this is a. I think this is a little bit mute. This is because we got here because of how we did it. Now, if you're going to say to me, Clive, next year, what do we need to do differently? And I think that's clear to all of us. We have got to find a way to firstly sustain our position. I think that's critical. We're all taking for granted we're going to finish second or lowest next year. That's not. We've got to make sure we are banging that top three, top four. We've got to make sure because we need this to not be a one-off. Right, so that's first. Thing. Yeah, look up the plexiglass theory if you're curious about that. Yeah, keep going, please. <laughs> and we got to make sure we're right there. So we got to be really aggressive to make sure we hold this spot. Because we've got respect now. People are coming for us. So we've got to be really aggressive. We've got to discourage teams going anywhere near us. Bang. There you go. Deal with this. We're upgrading. Bang. And then we can start to look upwards. Then we can start to think about how we take people off after 45 minutes when you've won a game. That's how we've got to do to protect people, to make sure we've got people there in, in the in the winning time. In April and May, we've got people there. That's a new way of thinking for me. Because we've just been trying to yeah. qualify for the Champions League. So I'm saying this pretty comfortable and cocky. But hold on, I've just worked it out due to the fact that I want us to be there next year. I want us to learn the lessons from this year. I don't want to see our people running around like they've got rigor mortis because they're so stiff-legged and tired in centre midfield. Because <laughs> we can all see it. We can all see it, can't we? And that's due to fatigue and, and energy being sapped out of the small group. So you are right, principally, Elliot. You're absolutely right. But I think we need to be fair about the journey we've been on, the season that's happened, a unique season, not just with the World Cup, but with the opposition that we're facing against. You know, so but next year yeah. now we have a we have a challenge, and I think we're getting revved up for it as a club. You said something that, that really struck me too, which is, you know, I help my seven-year-old with her arithmetic. It's very, very easy to see when she's made an error. When you do 17 plus 13 and she gets 20, it's very easy for me to say, no, really, the answer there is 30, right? Especially when I ask Siri. But like, it, it's, it's a very easy thing to figure out. When we were trying to make top four, we were making arithmetic-sized errors. You know, 
some of the debates we had about should we be signing Willian, like that's not really advanced calculus. But now when you're trying to catch 94 point Chel- uh, city, ugh, bad Freudian slip there. When we're trying to catch 94 point city, it's multifactorial calculus, you know, quadratic equation, whatever you want to call it. And it's that, you know, it's like the, the, the equation on the board in, in uh, goodwill hunting. And if there's an error in that, good luck finding it. My point is, the problem we have to solve now, they're at the really extreme margins, and they're really We're approaching advanced. an asymptote. Yeah, that's actually correct. We are approaching an asymptote. And like, as you get closer to that asymptote, finding that extra 2%, you know what? Finding the extra 50% to go from 8th to 4th is easy. Finding the extra 2% to go from 87 points to 94 points is real, real, real hard. And so it's much harder to look at any of the data or any of the squad and say, here's what Mikel got wrong. Yeah, you might say, oh, it's obvious what he got wrong. Nothing's obvious when you're trying to go from 87 to 94 points. When you're trying to go from the second most points in the history of the club to the most points in the history of the club. That is a much harder chasm to cross. And by the way, I said this um, on my Unmarked podcast yesterday. I think the hardest thing we're going to have this summer is staying connected to the love and exuberant outpouring of appreciation we felt for the club this season, loving this season, staying emotionally connected, not letting that go, but also being able to do clear-eyed analysis on what the next steps are. Not saying that was good enough. Because if we accept it as being good enough, well, we know what happens from there. So really, really big challenges ahead. Here's what I want to do. Since I put the rumors in the title of the podcast, we got to get to the rumors. We got to talk Shaka. We got to talk Cancelo, maybe one or two others. Uh, Saliba contract that's all coming up. I only have, and I mean this with all sincerity, one wonderful company to tell you about. And it is the one I get the most questions about, and that is NordVPN. Everybody asks me, what's the promo code for NordVPN? Well, let me get that out of the way for you. It is nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision. The reason people ask about it is everyone wants to use a VPN now for security, for privacy, so your browsing isn't... I mean, they just banned TikTok in the state of Montana. People are... I mean, what's going on around here, people? Um, But yeah, there's there's going to be... Uh, a lot of people wanting to use VPNs going forward, but one of the things it can let you do is browse in other regions. So if you want to watch uh, Match of the Day, you can watch Match of the Day. You want to watch Australian Netflix, you can watch Australian Netflix. You want to watch American who knows what? whatever that may be, you can do it. You're traveling and you want to browse back in your home region so you can watch your stuff. I was um, in Mexico and I wanted to watch the the football. So I used NordVPN to go back to the US and use my Peacock account. Uh, Peacock account, like that, like, if you said that to me five years ago, I'd be like, surely, surely that's pornography or something. But it's not. It's it's just how I watch um, football. And, and I was able to do it. So NordVPN, it is absolutely fantastic. Plus, it has threat protection that can keep you from getting malware on your device before it even gets there. You got to do it. Go for it now. This is, uh, let me give you the offer that they're giving you, by the way. You are getting... Uh, threat protection. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Uh, it's risk-free. You get a 30-day money-back guarantee. You're going to get a huge discount on a two-year plan plus a free month. You can try it. If you don't like it, they'll give you your money back, uh, issue a refund. You can pretend the whole situation never happened. Just check out nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. Do it now, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay, Clive. Granite Shack is gone. He's not. He's going to sign a new five-year deal on August 29th or August 30th. But until now, until then, we're going to pretend he's gone. I think the hardest thing in the world to do is hold two contradictory ideas in your head at the same time. We know that, right? The two things can be true. I'll tap the mug all day long. 
Granite Xhaka has been one of the stars of our season. Granite Xhaka has been excellent this season. And also, I think Granite Xhaka is a clear area for potential upgrade to this squad. When I watch Gundogan play left eight for City, I see, you know, and, and he's a very special player, but I, I see us an approach to that position that can give us a little more of the things that maybe Shaka can't. And I think there may even be a question of, is age finally coming for him? He gave so much against Newcastle, right? We saw a, a, a yeoman performance from him against Newcastle, but he didn't really have it against Brighton, right? He didn't really have that drive and energy. Is he someone who's who's going to be able to give it every week, week in, week out, every three days at 30 at 31? given the engine that he has and the energy he, he expends. So do you, do you subscribe to my two things can be true here that he's been excellent and we will miss him. And also he is an opportunity for upgrade. Yes, he has been excellent and we will miss him, but there's always been a ceiling around that player for me, but he has managed to lift his ceiling to allow us to finish a clear second in the league. And I wasn't sure we were going to get this much from Granit Xhaka. So I did nothing but applaud him, really. Um, the person that's probably spent, we spent talking about more than any other person during this podcast over the last few years. And that maybe, maybe that is something we need to change because we're almost defined by him, defined by his highs and lows and how his lows happened. But now we've also been defined by his resurrection arc. I think that's the right word. Um, mm. and, and That's two words, but still good. Thank you, mate. You've got to keep me honest. You know, I'm only football intelligent, <laughs> not really intelligent like you two. All right. So, um, and, and so, yeah, it's, we're, he's back on the curve. We're back on the curve. And he's been a big part of that. He's readjusted. He's adapted. He's gone through various managers. People can go through various managers in their job and still, and still perform. They've got something special about them. Always selected. Special professional, special human being. Time to move on, in my opinion. And I've had that thought for a long time, and he's proven me wrong many, 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 many times, right? So, but you can't help but look at other players with sort of green eyes and just wonder if we can just add a little bit of youth and energy and power and ability, you know, flexibility of hip movement, shall we say. It's just a different way of doing it. There's no problem with, it, with evolving. You know, I've already mentioned Kieran Tierney. Who'd have thought we'd be saying the, the things we're saying now about a player two years ago that we were talking about being our captain? Things change very, very quickly in football and we just got to evolve our thinking alongside that. So the midfield is an area that we obviously, if you look at, I think uh, Art did a great article on the Athletic today. I just saw the depth chart. I haven't read it yet, but when you look at that depth chart, you look at the ages of centre midfield area, it's obvious that what needs to happen you know, it's obvious what needs to happen in wide areas. It's obvious what needs to happen at, in in the centre-back and full-back areas. And these things will be addressed. Because if Art can do a depth chart and looks and be that accurate, I'm sure people in the club can do it with more information about health, contracts, financials, everything. They've got all the data, you know, mm. to be able to do that. So yep. I, I'm so excited to see how we, we go forward, Elliot, and that position is just, there are names out there, mate, that we and you both know. Um, I'll be so interested to see what they do to bring another layer to our team, and that's the most important thing, not to just replicate, but to improve and bring things that we've not even foreseen yet. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, I can't wait either. Kick your kids off the YouTube, by the way, Clive. Um, so 
it, that that's a wi- a Wi-Fi related joke. <laughs> They're using up your bandwidth, I think. Um, yeah. So, um, Paul, like the the Shaka thing is is difficult. Like, f- firstly, let's just say that I find myself in a position I didn't expect to be in, which is I will genuinely miss Granite Shaka. Not not a position I expected to be in. A few seasons ago, maybe even last summer, I felt we were making a mistake recommitting to him being around. He has proven me wrong more times than most, and most have proven me wrong quite a lot. So you can imagine how many, how many times he's done it. Let's not do the what he means off the pitch leadership thing, because first of all, it's been done to death. And second of all, it's not easily measurable. We think he is an immensely important part of the clubhouse leadership group, right? The dressing room leadership group. We don't see it. We can't evaluate it. We don't know what it really means. We just know what we think it means. What we can see and evaluate is what he does on the pitch. And this season, he did quite a lot. He did more in the attacking third than I could have possibly imagined. And yet, I don't think it is unfair to say that more can be done in that position, in that part of the pitch. People keep telling me that you need him for the structure he brings. But I do see the best team in the country playing with a more attacking player, and they don't look anywhere near short of structure. And oh, by the way, he's been playing a lot in a team that has been one of the worst defensive teams in the league over the last several weeks, conceding over two goals per game um, since Saliba's absence. So while I absolutely believe he's been a critical part of our season and he's he's in the argument for the short list of a player of the season, although there's probably eight other players in that short list, I don't see it as a... I don't see it as a bad thing to take a 30-year-old player who's given us so much, finally gotten us to Champions League after never having done it before, to clap him to say, great job on your, as Clive would say, resurrection arc. We appreciate you. We appreciate what you've meant to the team. People that never warmed to him will now be able to clap him on his lap of honor, a lap of appreciation at the end of the season. And we go again, and we find maybe a slightly more dynamic player for that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no issues there. I, I did pick him when we had our predictions of the start of the season as we were all picking our breakout player of the year. And of course you go for the young, the young, fresh thing. I went with Granite Xhaka, even though the reaction was, well, how can you break out when you're Granite Xhaka? But he really has in this role and surprised us all. Um, if I told you our breakout player of the year would then take the opportunity to go on to bigger and better things elsewhere, we would have been crapping ourselves. We were about to lose Saka or Martinelli or uh, Odegaard or somebody pushing for a move to Real Madrid, and yet it's Granite Jack who's decided to go on to uh, greener pastures. <clears throat> um, and I'm delighted. I'm delighted he's moving on for him and for us. He'll get out while he can. Uh, at his peak in terms of his relationship with the club. He'll be playing for Bayer Leverkusen maybe next season. Uh, maybe the season after that, we're all in the Champions League together and he, he tells our crowd to F off and <laughs> winks at us just for fun. And we all see the funny side of it. Um, and good luck to him. And I do see the opportunity, despite the fact I've been granite's biggest booster for god knows how long i see the opportunity for an upside when he get i think he's done great i think he's done well in the box and he like his runs he makes are intelligent and in behind and those that diagonal out to the wing while martinelli or whoever switches inside uh his under reading of the game understanding defensively when he needs to drop in seeing when everybody's charging forward and making adjustments like he's not a one-man defensive 
units. So like you, we, we were good for two thirds of the season defensively and poor for the last third or so. It's not all on any one guy. He doesn't get all the credit or all the blame. Um, but when we get into the box and the ball falls to him, you see what quicker feet can do. If that ball falls to yeah. Trossard instead of Xhaka in that position, to Gundogan instead of Xhaka, <clears throat> you can see what a a guy more from that environment. He, he's done brilliantly to adjust this to this position. But whatever his position is, and we could probably still argue about it, this ain't it. He's just done great and. You can tell from the conversation he had with Arteta that both reported on, which is Arteta says, I think you can adjust to this. I believe you can adjust to this. And if you don't, we'll get somebody else. <laughs> and Xhaka told the same story at the start of this season. Like it was a, could you do this other job that we both know you're not ideally suited to, but you could be very effective at. And holy shit, he did it. Yeah. Now, the one thing, yeah. You no, want to say something? Uh, well, I was just going to say, like, I, I think also... <clears throat> When I look at players that have left us over the years that we were nervous about leaving, by and large, we haven't suffered from it and it was right to let them move on. And actually, the mistakes we've made have been mistakes of retention, right? Not departure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aubameyang being the most obvious one, Ozil being another one, Theo Walcott being another one. I think it's that next contract when they were ready to move and you were probably ready to move and you, you were scared of progress, scared of the march of progress and you commit to that player, that's when it's not gone well for us. So however great he's been and however much we will miss him, I think if history teaches us anything, it's been the mistakes of retention that have hurt us more than the departures. Clive, you want to weigh in on that? It, we, oh, um, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, Paul. Yeah, go for it. Well, sorry, Clive, you you jump in on that. I have something I'd like to add on. Yeah, on yeah a, please, of course. On a related Clive, yeah, topic I'm just, afterwards. I was just going to say, as you were talking about him, I think there are two players in this team that allowed us a new balance in particular, and based on being with us the year before. You know, because other players are coming and, and added to us, obviously, in Chinchenko, Saliba, etc. But, but, but you know, Shaka's changing role and Ben White's changing role, I think, has been significant to us. And what we've done, we've leaned very much into attack. We've leaned very much into our 5 plus 5. And Shaka's been into an attacking role. And that's worked until we needed to start conceding goals. And then we're all thinking, we need to defend a little bit better. You know, and I think... You know, again, I can't help but look at City, what they've managed to do, because they've got monster athlete up front who does two people's jobs, which means they can they can lean into attack in a slightly different way because he, he'll do the job of two to three men. They can use men to solidify their team, which means they don't lose football matches when it really counts. And I think this is what we have to do. We have an opportunity now to find a new balance, maybe defensively and offensively, with a more two-way technical player, that adds defensive security, pace, recovery, and the ability to drive with the ball, you know, but versus somebody who's a passing left six, really. As Ball has smartly said, he has made his position work, but this is not him. He's just made it work, you know? Mm. And I think, and now we need to make it work with somebody that this is him, that brings something else a little bit different. And, and this is this is the fun, right? This is the fun. I can't I can't wait to see how we move forward. I agree. And this is the fun. We shouldn't be upset about it. We should embrace it and enjoy it. Paul, I'm sorry I cut off your thought. Why don't you wrap it up? Because I want to get to the next rumor here. Yeah, I'll keep it short. But I have a big bone to pick with you on this age thing. 
am. You haven't you haven't been very right about this in the past, my friend. So no, I have. I certainly have, and I, we won't get into the. We know what we're talking about there, and we won't get into that debate right now. Sorry, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But like, he's thirty. The guy you want him to be, Gundogan, is thirty-three in October. That is a very good point. <laughs> the average, the mean, is not the individual. I suspect when you were an athlete, Elliot, in mm. that glorious I'm still an athlete, you had, thank you. Yeah. yeah stamina will, and endurance was not your thing. Would I be right? I mean, there's a lot of areas of life where you could say that is correct. Um, <laughs> you know, but please uh, carry I, on. I think it's hard for people who have a particular physical configuration to understand other people who have a different one, right? Mm. If, if you haven't had speed, you can see speed and you say, oh, wow, that's incredible. But you've never had speed. You haven't lived speed. If you haven't had endurance. Now, I was not a great athlete and a great sports person. But the one thing I had was endurance. And you know it when you see it. Marathon runners hit their peak in their late 20s and into their 30s. Like, there's absolutely no reason with Xhaka that he isn't just as fast, whatever that is, uh, when he's 31 or 32, and certainly as enduring. And, you know, we do tend to go post hoc on our analysis. Oh, Xhaka and this guy and that guy look tired in this game. Next game is Newcastle. Mm-hmm. We battered them in the end, physically, uh, energy-wise. We were like, oh, look, he's recharged. The next game, we don't play very well. Oh, look, they're tired. So anyway, the, the short version is I don't buy it for certain players. And you can see who those players are. They just go and go and go. And you're not going to get any faster. Uh, he's one of those players I would mark out as an individual is not the average or the mean. Yes, players, when they get into 30, 31, you got to watch what's going on. But that's where all your in-house understanding of uh, sports fitness comes into it and different profile types. And there are different players. He's an endurance guy. He will go and go and go. Yeah, you're right. And let me say this, because I think this is the important thing to understand about like data and and analyzing data. Footballers peak in their late 20s and are post-peak in their early 30s. That's what footballers do. A footballer can peak at 31. A footballer can peak at 33. Footballers, the overall data, if you look at the curve, right, the the, the distribution curve, whatever you call one of those, is that a, it's a bell or something? Anyway, um, like footballers, the, the central cluster, especially for like, let's say midfielders, I think the peak is like 27 to 30. And then your post peak after that. That's what the, but but then an individual can be anywhere on that curve, and they can be peaking at thirty three. Um, Gundogan was a great retort to my Shaka point. Um, I would simply say that betting that you know who is going to beat the curve, I think, is a fool's errand. And I think basing it on the style of athlete they are is sensible, but not always right. I look at Per Mertesacker. Per Mertesacker did not base his game on speed. He never had it. But when Per Mertesacker lost the half step he did have, he literally became unusable, right? And so it, it, it changes for everyone. Clive, the, it, did. So, one of them had an injury uh, history, yeah. and one of them has absolutely almost no injuries apart from one. Shaka could probably play to 37. At what level, we, we won't know. Yeah, I, yeah. Clive, let's finish up just, the Shaka thing and get to the next one. Yeah, just, oh, just on Gundogan, actually. Gundogan had a, quite a big injury history when he was younger. Now he's reached this age, he's got less miles on the clock. Man City have fixed Good those point. injuries, and now he's he's performing in a role that suits him. 
it's very individual, very individual. Sometimes we just have to try to remember there's something called form. Players go in and out of form, and then we as fans try to find a reason for that. We mentioned tiredness, previous games, recent injury, a change in role. There are many reasons why. Different partnership is playing within. Form is just something that comes and goes. A great example is Trossard in the last game. Every minute he's played for Arsenal, he's been excellent. In that last game, where did his form go? Where did it go? Right, no explanation. Where did it go? You know, and it happens, and we just got to be mature about how we assess it. That's all. Good point. So let me stay with you, Clive. Um, one rumor that doesn't make a lot of sense to me <laughs> is the Cancelo rumor. He will be twenty nine uh, in a couple of weeks, so we can talk age curve with him as well because that would make Paul happy. But I'm kidding about that. But I'm not. But like, there's so many things that feel so weird about it. I mean, look. At his best, Cancelo can be the kind of player that wins you a league. I think he was the best player in the league for a couple of seasons there, or at least a season there for Manchester City. Uh, it's fair to say they haven't missed him. <laughs> at least maybe they did for a few weeks, but they figured it out, and they're, they're fine now. We have Zinchenko. Um, even if Cancelo's an upgrade on Zinchenko, what are you going to do with Zinchenko? Cancelo's making Gabriel Jesus money, so it's a weird place to plow those resources. And there is the question of whether he had some you know, off-the-pitch attitude issues that Pep didn't like or that Bayern didn't like, and that's something to consider. Not to mention that he just hasn't played very well in about a year. So there's there's that factor too. Um, then, again, you know, I look at Liverpool. Liverpool went for Thiago, who had a big injury history and was late in his career because sometimes players are so good that if you can get them, you get them. I just don't know if Cancelo is the answer to what ails us, although I acknowledge that at his best if that's if you can get Cancelo at his peak for a few seasons, that's a player you probably always get just because he's so good. So where are you with that, Clive? Because it's a very, very weird rumor to me. But it's out there. Yeah. It's not just, you know, it's not like a tier three Twitter account saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird rumor, and I and I don't believe it. If I'm honest with you, Elliot, I think um, okay. for all the reasons sort of that you, for all the reasons that you that you said, there was a rumor of doing a Kieran Cancelo swap. Right, which would affect mm. Celtic and some of the resale value, etc. On Kieratini, I don't know how we paid twenty-five mil cash for Kieratini and gave him a sell-on. That shows you where we were back then and how mm. little leverage we had in the marketplace. So I, I don't really believe it. There's another rumor out there for a guy called Mohamed Simaken, and he's an interesting player. He's more of a centre-back, right-back. When he plays centre-back, mm. his progressive passing is right up there in the 90 percentile. I look at him, I think, mm, you look interesting. 23, around 35 million, six foot two, runs like the wind, can play right-back flyer and centre-back stopper that obviously can play in big spaces. I think, mm, you look quite interesting. You know, when I see that type of rumour, I think that sort of interests me a lot more than going back to City when they've already said they don't want to do business with Arsenal going forward because it didn't really look well. Arsenal did pretty well off the business with them, although I think City done pretty well off the business they had from us. And so I, I don't believe it. I almost don't want to believe it because people like you, Elliot, have educated me on the age curve and spending money on 28, 29-year-olds on £200,000 a week. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to the model that we've been shown that's working when we're getting people like that off of our wage bill. Uh, Granite Shaka is probably in the early ones, probably about 120, and he's going he's gonna to move at 30 years of age. And we're going to probably, just say, for example, we were to invest £100,000 a week into Cancelo. We end up being in a situation where year on year we're actually saving money and we've got a 
sorry, not I mean Kaiseido, apologies. Kaiseido. We're then mm. we're then investing a twenty one year old centre midfielder that is got potential and is a huge, huge huge player for us and, and that's what we should be doing you know wages flatten out if not a little bit less transfer fee can be amortized over four or five years we go from there right that's new arsenal that's not can can Shallow is a little bit like old arsenal for me despite his technical yeah. fit yeah it doesn't feel right to me on the on the business side can from the season before this one was so good that I would say I, I'm willing. There are certain players you break the rules for, right? Like Liverpool did it for Thiago. Thiago was not a very Liverpool signing in the way that they build a team. Um, and you can argue it wasn't even a good signing for them long term. I don't think they won the title with him, although they got to an insane point. Didn't they post post signing Thiago? Was that when they lost out with like 97 points or something like that? I, I could have that wrong, but I mean. They were very good with Thiago. He wasn't available much, which you have to expect when you sign a Thiago. And I've always said, having an amazing player that isn't regularly available can be worse than not having that player at all. Because you can't have two amazing players at every position. And having one who isn't regularly available means you play a a weaker player behind them. And we have seen that so many times down the years with injury-prone players. So... I don't know. The Cancelo thing to me just feels wrong. I don't think it'll prove to be true. If you could promise me the Cancelo of the quality of last season, again, I think it's interesting because someone that good can make a big difference for you, even if they don't necessarily fit the Project TM. Paul, final thought on Cancelo. We'll move on to a couple other rumors here. Yeah, well, the other weird part of it would be you don't play Zinchenko and Cancelo in the same team. Do you, like, could Zinchenko be the left eight? You know, could Cancelo be the left eight? You know, that that's what people I think are going to think. Or can Cancelo play right back if, if you know, if Ben White needs to play center back? Like, it gives it you some optionality weird, across the it, back. Line. Oh, yeah, it gives you optionality, but he's going to be expensive. And oh, yeah, like, he's on Jesus-type wages from what I understand. Yeah, and there'll be a, they'll be looking for a big fee, especially if they're going to sell him to us. They're not going to sell him to us on a reasonable fee. They could sell him to somebody else on a reasonable fee. So it's going to have to be mm. a big fee. Um, and they never played Zinchenko and Cancelo in the same team. I, that doesn't sound like defensive solidity to me. It just it would be weird uh, to have Cancelo and Zinchenko in our team. They never did it. Uh, yeah. It was one or the other. And in fact, they'd, the good thing about Cancelo was... He to be fair, when you have David Silva and Ilkay Gundogan and all, you know, all yeah. those players, you don't need to play Zinchenko and Cancelo in the same team. You know? Yeah. Um, but it would, you know, they play Walker on one side and they switch Cancelo to the left kind of thing, even though that was Zinchenko's side, uh, or they play Cancelo on the right and blah, blah, blah. So, um, certainly Cancelo would start over Zinchenko, uh, I would think, but what are we doing with Zinchenko then? And so I don't know that that's where you spend your gold. He's going to be expensive to us. And And he has a contract that runs till 27, according to what Clive's put in the chat here. Yeah. So you'd have him until he's about 33. Um, Paul, what about the rumor out there? So, so I would say this is the most important rumor that's out there for Arsenal, period, full stop. More important than Rice, more important than Caicedo. The rumor is that the extensions agreed with Saliba and he's going to sign it this summer. I have big nervousness that everybody's coming for this guy. And I don't just mean like City, I mean Madrid, I mean PSG. I think us 
having competed for this title, I think his relationship with Gabrielle Magalhaes, I think us being in the Champions League could not have happened at a better time because I think absent that, we probably do lose Saliba. But right now, if you're a young player with a big career ahead of you and we're willing to give you the money you need and you get to play CL and you get to go challenge for a Premier League, you think, and play in the hashtag best league in the world, and you don't have to go to the mess that is PSG where everybody watches you play about twice a season. You know, Madrid, okay, that's a hard project to turn down. But like, I think this is as important as anything else we do this summer. What about you? Um, yeah, I think it is. Assuming his back gets fixed and holds Good up. Point. Good point. I mean, that's a huge factor that obviously he and the club will know way more about. Um, this might, like, I don't think that particular... Assuming he gets better, I don't think his back injury necessarily hurts us as much as it's hurting him at the moment, in that it, it'll yeah. give him pause for thought that life is changeable, that he's in a good spot. He may not feel like picking up those suitcases and going anywhere right now. He might just want to stay where he is. Uh, like, life is good. He's so young. What is he? Still 21. Like he could do PSG and Real Madrid later on in his career when he's he's nowhere near peak. So yeah, he, he could got, do Arsenal another four seasons and still do both of yeah. those clubs. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be craven and silly and foolish to take all of that risk. He's he's in the bird seat, the cat bird bird seat with the cats and the birds at Arsenal. He's in the crow's nest. Like it's obvious where his future should be for the next few years. And then take it from there, like PSG, bit of a shit show, very political, Real Madrid, who knows? Like the, those clubs are way bigger than the player, whereas he's a really good fit for Arsenal. This is obviously the place to be. We can obviously pay him what he should be paid at this stage in his career. He's got a great partnership. He was a he was possibly the best player in the team when fit the most important player it's the biggest league blah 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 we're in the champions league it's obvious where he should be for the next few years i think it's going to be okay it should be just fine um by the way breaking news seeing come come across the transom now both in the chat and uh, all over my phone is that aaron ramsdale has signed a new deal Woohoo! it is rumored that saka's deal has done and has been done for some time and be announced soon and with the rumors that you know, Saliba's deal may be, if not done, just about finalized. And by the way, just want to say the rumor that I saw was extension, contract extension, not new deal. Now, I don't know if that's just weird wording. A contract extension could be three more seasons, you know, but like we'll, we'll have to see because I, I think we had an option. I think we had a four plus one with Saliba. So we'll have to see what that is. Clive, any reaction to Ramsdale re-signing? I think there's been maybe some criticism he's come in for tail end of the season, but by and large, I think... The Ramsdale we've seen most of the time he's been at Arsenal. We can win with him is basically my view. I, and I think we can win with him not just because he's a pretty good keeper, although I think he can get better at saving some some of the easier ones, but because you have to be able to play with your feet. You have to be able to be sweeper. And I think he can do that. So excited to see him stick around. Yeah, very excited. <clears throat> There's a core group developing, isn't there? You've got Ben White. Mm. I'm sure he's, he's one to think about next. Um Big Gabby, little Gabby, Saka, you know, it's it's all happening at the same time. Saliba, Ramsdale, this is the core group. You know, the two signings from last year, they're in the first 11. They're, they don't need new contracts just yet. So this is the core group that's here, and that's going to sustain our position. So 
I think it's wonderful. They all grow together, and that means their connections get better, the spirit gets better. I think it's a really positive sign. This conversation two years ago, we'd all be petrified that certain people weren't going to sign. I have not been worried for a second because if you don't want to be around this club right now, then you're not for this club. And that's the truth of it. You can't do much more than this. you know. And, um, and if you want to be part of the journey going forward, then yeah, help us get over the line. Help us stay in this role position. Let's get rid of the eights. Let's make sure we're back in the top four against that increasingly competitive landscape. Could be hugely competitive next year. I don't see any reason why we just call set of players in a few editions that we can't stay where we are. But I do think it's important that we maintain this group and this spirit. I think that's part of what we've done. And I, I you know, for all the th- positivity that we've enjoyed this year, um, it can go very, very quickly. And uh, at 3 0 last week, seeing people disappointed is a reminder a stark reminder of where we've been and how quickly you can go back there with a few bad decisions and if you don't think it's going to happen just look around you look around you at, at Spurs look around you at, at Chelsea it can happen very very quickly look at the points differential between us and them right now yeah. so don't take nothing for granted just make I do sure nothing but stare at that Clive I, <laughs> I look at it regularly yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful it can, thing it, it can happen real quick remember we were like 30 points behind Liverpool one season it's not it, it can change it can change if you if you do dumb stuff you know so we've got to keep doing stuff yes Yes, that's the plexiglass principle, right? Often teams that overachieve in a season that get farther up than that was expected at that point in the process snap back to something closer to what you would expect. We don't want that to happen. Um, I think there's a really, really important thing at play here. This is the trickiest needle to thread in some ways with squad building. Anytime you opt to replace a player in your squad with a new signing, you are going from a known quantity to an unknown quantity. All kinds of transfers fail. Shocking transfers fail. Look how bad Mikhailo Mudrik has been. Look at it a lot because it's quite hysterical. Look, look at how bad Fernando Torres was at Chelsea. I, I don't know why I bring that one up other than the fact that I remember thinking, wow, he's going he's gonna to go bang there. Like, what a player. He was dreadful. You see p- players move from one team to another within the league. I, I thought that um, Basuma was a good signing for Spurs. I thought Richarlison was a good signing for Spurs. Transfers don't work for reasons you cannot understand. So when you look at a Ramsdale, for example, if you say, I think he's good, but I think there's still better we could get. Maybe a better shot stopper. Maybe someone better with his feet. And then you go sign a keeper instead of Ramsdale. And you lose the known quantity that's Ramsdale. And what do you get? Maybe you get a Keppa, right? Maybe you get someone who isn't any good, who you thought was a sure thing. I'll admit, I, I mean, who, look, obviously I, I, the audio is out there, everybody. It's no surprise. I thought Ramsdale was a weird signing. He's proven us wrong. He's been very good. That was a surprise to me to the upside. So transfers can surprise you to the upside. I think Trissard might be an example of a player who's surprised to the upside. Maybe Jorginho, a little bit of an example. Certainly a Gabriel Martinelli, right? A home run. So I think the thing you have to be careful about when you say, let's upgrade this player, is understanding that if that means going outside your club and getting a new player, you have a lot of risk because of the unknown range of outcomes. We know what Ramsdale is, and at his worst, Ramsdale is still really pretty good. And at his best, he's a, he's, a, he's a match winner. He's a league winner. So I think it's great that we're keeping him. I think it's why we need to keep this core, to, to Clive's point, because we 
we really know what their ceiling is and their ceiling looks very high. I mean, we were on a 94, 95 point pace earlier this season with this cluster. So we got to keep the cluster together and then just strengthen it. It does somewhat undercut my point about Shaka, to be fair, which is that Shaka, if you want to give him any credit for anything, and there are a lot of things to give him credit for, tends to be extremely predictable in terms of the kind of game you're going to get from him, which very few players achieve. You get more of a vicissitude of, of outcomes. Paul, you had a thought on that that um, screed, I guess you'd call it? Rant? Uh, yeah. Um, so I just listened to the Aaron Ramsdale announcement video, the the soft, close profile. And he While I was talking, good use of your time. Appreciate yeah. it. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm famously good at multitasking. And yes, um, why don't you eat a sandwich? <laughs> he he starts his video with, "I know you guys didn't want me," uh, and I get it. I really get it. And you're like, Jesus Christ, right in the fields. And but to your point, right? You just don't know what you're going to get when you sign a guy. And the other point is, the guy's 23 in goalkeeper years. That's nothing. Uh, he's not supposed to be this good yet. He's going to grow. He's going to learn. He's going to make better decisions. He's going to be. Uh, he's going to be better in one v ones. He's he's going to actually stop a penalty one of these days. Um, his best years will be when he's twenty seven, twenty eight. Um, to even think that you'd want to go in a different direction with this guy, and then the just a big, big personality, lots of experience with us now. Uh, last season and this season hard lessons learned towards the end of the season in both cases um he's part of this this young group that's actually getting very very experienced very very mature um i'm all on board the aaron ramsdale train and uh he's he's just like He's one of those guys you want in the mix for your team, for your squad. Back to the, we don't know what goes on in the dressing room. You know this guy's vocal. You know mm-hmm. this guy's one of our leaders and becoming one. Um, yeah. I think also the number of clean sheets we had away, like from a mentality standpoint, whatever you want to say about Ramsdale, like he seems to thrive in pressurized environments. Yeah. You, you know, the fact that the fact that he could be so good away I think is really important because I can think back to the days of like Manuel Almunia and, and players that really shrunk from the big moments. So I, I think it's good to have him. Clive, let's finish on this. <laughs> An hour and 16 minutes in and I will mention that we play Nottingham Forest at the weekend. <laughs> um, it is easy as us fans to forget about the last two games because they feel somewhat irrelevant. Our second place is confirmed. Our first place is, we think, gone. You know, um, And we're turning our eyes towards summer. But the players... I think to to preserve the good feeling, we'd love to see them go out and finish, obviously, the season strong, get to that 87-point mark, which is a really good one, get as many points as they're capable, and and give us a chance to really enjoy that final day against Wolves. This Forest game coming up the weekend, like, do you think it's possible that Mikel will take the approach of heavy rotation and giving other players a chance? Um in, in the wake of the title dream sort of being gone, I think Forest aren't safe. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I, th- I think they probably are, frankly, looking at the other teams and who they play, but they're not safe. They won't be on the beach. You can't expect it to be an easy, easy match. How will Mikel approach this? Just usual first choice 11, obviously minus Martinelli, who'll be out till probably sometime in late preseason uh, with a high ankle sprain. What do you think he'll do? 
<clears throat> uh, I think the high ankle sprain is a, maybe a message. We don't want certain people with their leg up over the summer. They could be on their fitness regimes on holiday. And so I would protect a few. They're given a lot this year and we can't really gain much. But we've got to respect the league. In fact, that other teams like Leicester and Leeds are fighting for their lives. You have to respect the league. But I'd like to say we're already looking towards next season. That that Ramsdale contract <laughs> signing is, is telling you what the club is doing. They're going for their work. They're, they're getting players in for meetings. They're going for their work. They're looking at contracts. They're making sure people are looking who they don't want around are getting the right support to find a new club, etc. So that's where I think the focus of the club will be. On the playing side of things, I'd like to see something different. A few new players coming in. A few, we may shop window a couple. We may protect a couple from the shop window. You know, remind a, remind a few people that these players still exist at Arsenal and they, they could be available. And maybe give people a chance who are cooking under the covers there that maybe didn't really shine in the bright lights, for example, Vieira against Southampton, um, give them a chance to play in a more relaxed environment when there's not much on it because that's something we have invested in and first season average, second season could be good and we, we said that about Martin Odegaard, didn't we? So you never know what could happen in the future with a with a 22-year-old with talent. So I'd like to see a few more of those players get a chance. Reese Nelson potentially leaving. You know, you know, will he want to be playing if he's got a free transfer somewhere else? This where this where politics, contracts, next moves comes into play. So it's very difficult to mm. to predict the eleven, Elliot, based on what could happen. But I'm interested in seeing what the team looks like and hopefully see a number of new players just because I'm up for a change. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the fan sentiment in me that's like don't throw it away now. Get to 87 points. Really, really throw a number on the board that we can feel great about and that shows just how much progress we made so that I don't have to listen to other rival fans say, oh, you guys barely got the amount of points that so-and-so got this season at this position. You know, but that's fan nonsense. It doesn't really matter to the club, really. I mean, if, the, if Arsenal don't win either of their next two games, it's still a brilliant season with tons of progress. We still finish second. and It doesn't change anything about next season. So maybe you're right. I mean, maybe Mikel should reward some players who have been patient. Give Emil Smith Rowe a start. Give Vieira a start. Maybe Mikel Arteta should be thinking, you know, it, it's time to give players who haven't played enough a chance and rest up some players who've had a very long season and don't need to get injured in a meaningless game at the very, very final whistle of the season. By the same token, you can also make the argument that rotating is important because if you're one of the first 11 starters who's gone 3,000 minutes this season, can you give it your all in this game? Some of the worst performances I've seen from Arsenal this season were starters in Europa League games where it was clear they were just kind of managing their way through it, right? So maybe you put the hungrier players out there and you get a better performance because they're hungry to show what they can do versus a Bukayo Saka who's like, really? I'm going to do another 90 minutes in a game that doesn't mean anything after this season and maybe he doesn't have that focus. So I see both sides of it. Me, Elliot Fan, wants us to go pound Forest and pound Wolves and finish strong and really feel good about that that maybe doesn't have to matter as much to the club who can say, let's make sure we make everyone feel involved in this season. A Reese Nelson has earned a start. A Smith Rowe has earned a start. I, I could see it both ways. Paul, the vigorous head shaking and the vigorous use of the hand raise button on our uh, recording software indicates to me that you have another perspective. And I, for one, would love to hear it. I just have an internet video I'm going to be listening to, but I promise I'll, I'll be listening to you as well. Fire away, please. I have a very strong feeling I want to share, which is uh, Arteta... 
desperately wants to win this game and the next game. There's no way he doesn't want to win it. Uh, just like Elliot Fan. The club will not be picking the next 11 that goes out. Arteta is disgusted the way we tailed off. The last thing he's going to do is cruise through the last couple of games. It doesn't mean he's going to pick the exact same 11. Maybe he's frustrated with one or two starting players that they didn't do the business. And maybe, you know, maybe he looks at Sack and says, the guy's jaded and he just won't be up for it as a, as a starter. So I'll swap him out. I'm not saying he won't make a change or two, but it won't be, Oh, I'll, I'll help us with our contract negotiation with this guy. Or I really feel bad for that guy that he didn't get enough minutes. And this is an opportunity. Like he won't give a shit about that. He'll want to finish as strong as possible. He'll want 87 points, not 84 points or 81 points. He's going to go as strong as he can to win these games. Um, and he'll, he, I'm sure he'll make a change or two. It won't be the exact same 11, but it'll be on the basis of who's going to be hungry, who's going to make something happen on the pitch today. He doesn't like lots of changes. He doesn't want to see, like, he's going to get a change whether he likes it or, a lot, or not. He's probably going to have to play Trossard left, <clears throat> Tierney on that side. So Trossard is going to move a little inside as Tierney pushes up. That's enough changes for him in our starting 11. He's not going to want to change a bunch of other players. Um, he doesn't want to see some kind of Europa League performance out there. And uh, like, we may be like this, the season's done, but watch the sentiment change. If we lose our last two games in poor performances and then it's, Oh, they figured this out. We're a bush busted flush, blah, blah, blah. He's going to go. Oh, I, I agree. It'd be terrible for the narrative. Just, just yeah. to be clear, right? Like, but this is, this is what's hard because the irony is I keep thinking back to this. Look at the way we quote unquote collapsed last season to finish fifth. And it had absolutely no impact on our amazing summer, our incredible preseason, our phenomenal season, right? Like, so like, there are things that matter to us and probably to be fair, matter to Arteta that ultimately don't actually matter in the scheme of things. And like, Saka getting 90 more minutes in his legs and we pound Nottingham Forest doesn't actually matter, but I don't know. But what does matter? But look, it all gets very existential at that level, and I think we should leave it there. It's, it's, it's quite we funny. We will do an instant well, reaction after. I think it's yeah. quite mm -hmm. funny that we were talking about rotation earlier on. We come to a game that doesn't mean anything, and we're thinking, he's not going to rotate. He's going to leave everybody's acting the same. First 11. <laughs> First 11, mate. I think. Uh, First 11. <laughs> it's hard to guess. It's hard to guess. But there are a couple of people that are flagging. Just give them a chance. It, it, it is a great point. Clive, if we can't even agree to rotate some players in for a dead rubber at Nottingham Forest at the very end of the season when nothing's on the line, we will never be okay with rotation. Like This is, this is a great litmus test but it's not a dead there. rubber i think i think we'll be in, fine in, the wolves yeah. game obviously at home there's no way we're losing that game but the forest game no. we have to be we have to respect the league we really do because this is a massive game for yeah. forest who i do hope stay but up that, by the way because i think it's i think it'd be fantastic for football if they stay up because they are the one team that didn't change their manager unlike leeds unlike leicester so they could do one as far as I'm concerned. I like to see Forrest stay. Mm. And so I, I want Forrest to stay up. I don't want him to beat us. <laughs> so um, so I'm hoping it will get, we can all work out for everybody else. You just listen. When we lose 2-1 at Forrest and we do the instant reaction, I'm going to be spitting spitting venom at why did ML Smith Rowe start this game? Why did <laughs> Reese Nelson start? No, I mean, it, it is interesting, right? Who would be a, a, a manager? Because on the one hand, 
we're pouring over data that says he needs to rotate more. On the other hand, we're like, don't you dare rotate, you son of a... So, you know, who would want to be a manager? Let's, I'm fine yeah. with rotation. I just think he's going to want to win it like mm-hmm. like he would any other game. There's no way he's saying, you know, I'm not that worried about the outcome. How many things do I need to accommodate? How many feelings? How many? He's going to want to put out the team that's most likely to win. It might involve a couple of rotations. Two words for you, Paul. You twelves, do it. Play, play the, play, play. When they say play the kids, I mean the literal kids. Like play the, play, play the people. I went to my daughter's soccer game yesterday. She's seven. Play them. Let's see how they do. No, yeah. don't do she that. any good? Horribly, they'd get horribly injured. No, she's 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 more interested in dancing and picking dandelions. But you know, God love her. She's she's happy. I had one of them. What matters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I had one of them. You know, it is a beautiful thing because. Um, like, I don't have that gene where I'm like, run around, kick the ball, score a goal. And you watch the parents that are going nuts. And I'm just like, that's a lovely daisy you've picked there, honey. Do you want to pick the dandelion next to it? Like I, I just, once had to persuade you know. my daughter at halftime to come down out of the tree where she was drinking a juice box. <laughs> and uh, she was about two minutes late onto the pitch for the second half. No, you know what? That's fine. They, uh, the ref keeps the time on his watch and look sure at her now back yeah yeah look at her and look, look at her now she's still up in that tree okay also on twitter pause my pants thanks Woo-hoo. clive's on twitter clive pfc thanks clive thank you very much my name is alex smithy bachman twitter and gunner join us for the let's let's just call it red-faced outraged instant reaction at full time after nottingham forest i'm kidding because we're gonna beat them because we love you and we will talk to you after arsenal 10 forest no